So, good news, I don't have a voice. <laughs> this is really how my voice is going to sound today. It's going to be really painful, I'm sorry, um, for you, not for me, it, it feels fine for me, but it'll be painful for you to hear. Oh, gosh. Um, so I guess um, Kristen was gone for a week, and then and, um, she, she got quarantined, she's great, she, quarant- she quarantined, and she's been good. Me and the boys were all good, we tested negative uh, Tuesday and today, we're good, but I think... Taking the boys out to Cameron Park um, a couple times this week and the Cedar really messed up with my allergies, as well as being kind of a single parent for the week, yelling at the kids, uh, <laughs> could have played a factor. Um, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, I have my water here, uh, halfway through the sermon. It's already written. Malcolm, you can just come up and uh, pick up where I left off. <laughs> I, I don't even like the sound of my voice right now. All right, let, let's, let's pray. <laughs> Uh, Father, I do thank you for today. Lord, we ask that you would speak loudly in, in spite of uh, this, uh, this annoyance, this nuisance of not having a voice. Um, but Lord, we ask that your words would shine off the page. Lord, we, we desperately need you. Uh, I know I'm dealing with, with what I've had to deal with this week, but we know that uh, your church is coming from all different places and have, have experienced all different types of sorrows and tragedies this week. Uh, maybe some joys as well, and we pray pray for more of those. Um, And so, Lord, wherever we're coming from, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Uh, We need to hear from you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me start off with a riddle. It's free, but it's priceless. You can't own it, but you can spend it. Once you've lost it, you can never get it back. What is it? Time. Okay, yeah, you know the sermon too. (laughs) Time, that's right, time. (laughs) I personally love to talk about time. Uh, Time is probably one of my favorite subjects to talk about, to theorize about, uh, and even to lament. Um, If you ever want to just talk about time travel, I'm, I'm game. I love talking about time travel, and I I hope and pray it's possible. Um, (laughs) Let me give you a litany of quotes here. We'll go kind of fast. Uh, The two most powerful warriors are patience and time, from Leo Tolstoy. Time is money, Benjamin Franklin. I don't agree with that. I think he's messing us all up with that concept, but it's a quote. Better three hours too soon than a minute too late. William Shakespeare. Some of y'all need to hear that one. Uh, (laughs) An inch of time is an inch of gold, but you can't buy that inch of time with an inch of gold. A Chinese proverb. Uh, Here's one that I really love. Um, Surprised by who, who said it. We all have our time machines. Some take us back and they're called memories. Some take us forward and they're called dreams by an actor, Jeremy Irons. Uh, I just love that, it's beautiful. Uh, But in light of this weekend that we're celebrating, Martin Luther King Jr., um, the time is always right to do what is right. And so, what do we do with time? Time is just this weird thing, if you think about it. Like, I don't know if you've felt this, there's times in our lives where it feels like things are moving just 
painfully slow, like, like a slug is just being scraped across a concrete, like just so slow. And then you're like, but it's 2022. <laughs> How is that possible? How is it possible when we're halfway through January? <laughs> is that, in the same moment, like in the same week, you can be like, man, life is just moving so slow. And then you're like, man, life is moving so fast. Like time is just, it's wild how it works in that way. Um, you know, right? You've heard the phrase that timing is everything. Like, it, and I would say it's true. Timing is everything. And that's what we want to talk about today is time. Um, and the title of my sermon today is that God's time is always on time. That God's time is always on time, meaning it's always right and good. And the path we're going to get we're going to take to get to that conclusion is we're going to look at the times, the time, and the tent. Uh, we'll do it backwards for you. The times, the time, and the tent. Uh, and so the times. If you're just joining us, if today's your first Sunday, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, hopefully I'll have a voice next week. Um, but the, the, the times that we're in, the setting that, that Jesus is in, what has just happened is that there's been a major setback to Jesus' takeover the world plan. Um, that's not really his plan. That's what others may think of him. Um, in fact, Jesus doesn't come to condemn the world. He comes to save it, right? Um, but last week, Jesus loses almost all of his following. He loses almost all of his following except for his 12 disciples. And so things are dwindling all around him. Like, and then about six months later is where this passage comes in. So ev everyone seems to be, have gone. And six months later, he's now back at home with his brothers, and so you kind of have this reset button, it feels like, at this moment. All right, six months later, and he's with his brothers, and he's, do, he's doing, he's meeting with his brothers, and he's doing what every brother does, or at least they're doing to him what every brother does. They're fighting, <laughs> right? Every brother in the history of the world fights. And, that, and, and even Jesus' brothers fight. And that's good news for me. As I look at my own kids, <laughs> there's just constant fighting. I'm wondering what's happening. Am I doing things wrong? But then I remember me as a, as a boy, me, I had two brothers. We constantly fought. We fought to the death. We would, I would sit on my brother and just punch and punch and punch. But now, but now I love my brothers. <laughs> I had to punch all the evil out of them. But now we love each other, right? Um, that's how brothers work. They just constantly fight. But Jesus' brothers... Like, would you fight with Jesus? Do you think it would be fun to have Jesus as a brother? How many of you didn't even know that Jesus had brothers? You're like, I thought Mary was a virgin. Well, she was, and she had Jesus. But then after she had Jesus, she then consummated her marriage with Joseph, and she had more kids. She had more children, right? And so she had, she had, she had multiple kids. And, and there was, like, do you think it would be fun to have Jesus as a brother? And do you think about Mary coming home from a hard days of work? And, she, you know, she comes home and she sees, like, the TV in the house just broken, right? Because the TVs are existing then, right? And she's just like, who did it? I know it wasn't Jesus. And all the brothers are like, dang it! <laughs> Jesus gets away with everything. He doesn't get away with everything, right? She just knows it can't be him because he's perfect. And so then James is just, like, going to his room. And he's like, man, I hate this. I hate Jesus as a brother. No wonder they had some conflict. But that conflict went left the juvenile stage, and then it, now they're as adults, and that conflict is, is still existent. Uh, look at verses 2 through 5. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea, 
so that your disciples may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. I want you to see that that last verse here, verse 5. For even his own brothers did not believe him. I think that colors this passage. That helps understand what his brothers are doing. It's important to read that as even his own brothers did not believe in him at the moment. Because what they're trying to say here is, come on, Jesus. <laughs> come on. We, we've, we've seen your embarrassing teen years. We saw that weird hairdo that you tried to rock. Like, we slept in the same house as you. But if you, if you, if you really want everyone to follow you, Jesus, then here's what you need to do. You need to go off and you need to show off. Like, you, like nobody who wants to be in anybody, does what they do in secret. And so what you need to do, Jesus, is you need to create a TikTok account, and you need to go you know, post up at a really big city, and you need to get a big following. Like, you need to learn how to play the game, Jesus. We're trying to help you. We're trying to get you to have all of these people see your brand and buy into you as Jesus the brand, right? This is what they're trying to do. And they're trying to get him to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was the, was the biggest of Jewish feasts. It was, it was the biggest by far. It was, their, it was their national holiday that everyone came out to. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people celebrated this feast. It's like celebrating the 4th of July or Juneteenth or Dia de los Muertos, depending on where you're at and what you're celebrating. But everyone's coming out and they're celebrating this feast. And so this would have been the biggest crowd of his career. He could have really made a name for himself He could have won back all of those disciples that had just left him if he goes up there and does some miracles and now they'll believe. But remember, they they don't believe that their brother is God. So they're not giving him, like this isn't just bad advice from a PR firm uh, from his brothers. Like like if if he he would have listened to that advice, he would have been killed early, right? But these are are skeptics, and they're saying, yeah, Jesus, go, go show off. (laughs) Let's see what you got. Let's see you go make a fool of yourself in front of all of these people. And so that's the setting. That's the times that we're in, that all of the disciples have left Jesus, and now when he comes home, even his own brothers are trying to set him up to be a public embarrassment. And so it's a dark time in the life of Jesus. But I just want to say, did you know that his brothers ultimately do believe in him? And it's actually one of the reasons I think we can trust the Bible, that his brothers actually do believe in him. Like the, his brothers, who were at one point devout Jews, who couldn't conceive of anyone saying that they are, they are Yahweh, that they are God. They then, who saw Jesus in all of his facets, his own brothers, begin to worship Jesus as God. They begin, to go, they begin to worship Jesus as God. They, be, they begin to be leaders in the church. James is one of the leaders in the church. We have a book. He, he has a book in the New Testament. Jude has a book in the New Testament. And we can follow that. We can follow the Bible and believe in it because we have his own brothers who could have seen all the, the, the secret quirks that no one else got to see. Or maybe, maybe he was, he's faking it. They could see it all and they believe. But let's move from the times to the time. Now let's look at verses 6 through 9. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to the festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. 
don't know if you can hear it, one, because of my voice, but also just sometimes reading the text. I don't know if you can hear the sass that Jesus is throwing down in this verse. Like, like y'all go on up to the festival. <laughs> for you, anytime's fine. <laughs> you guys go up. You do your thing. It's not time for me. I'm going to stay back. And he says here in verse 7, the world cannot hate you. <laughs> it's an it's a issue of capability. The, the world cannot hate you. And this may be confusing to us when we think of like, what are we talking about? I thought, what do we think of when we think of the world? And what we look at in the Bible and with the the author here, the Gospel of John, when he talks about the world, he speaks of it in two ways. One, it says the the Greek word cosmos, he speaks of it in two ways. One, and it's this this created world. You can think of, um, you know, positively, John 3.16, that for God so loved the world, it's people, it's, it's humanity, but also the world itself, it's cosmos, all of it, that he gave his one and only son, right? We just love that passage. God loves this world, and he gave his only one and only son. But then we contrast that with 1 with, with John 2, same author, just writing a, a different letter, and he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so God so loved the world is one passage. The other passage says, do not love the world. And you're like, this is confusing. (laughs) Which one do I do, God? Right? The Bible is using the world in two different ways. In one way, it's saying it's talking about the world and all of its creation, uh, the created things. You can think of Genesis, when God created the world and there was this, there's this melodic song that if I could sing right now because of my voice, I can't. But if if I I didn't lose my voice, you guys would be astounded about how good of a voice I have. Right? (laughs) But he, at, the end of each, at the end of each song, there's this chorus, and it says, it was good. It was good. That's the chorus at the end of all of creation, that it was good. And so God clearly loves this world. Don't let anyone ever tell you any different. To be even clearer, 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, it says, for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be received if it is received with thanksgiving. And so, clearly, God loves this world. He does. It's his masterpiece, of which he calls you the pinnacle. Like, he loves his, cre- he loves his artwork. He cares for it. And the only way that we mess up this world is when, when we, we misuse and abuse it. And so then the other term for the world that the Bible uses, which is still world, which makes it confusing, is it's now talking about the sinfully, um, the sp- sin- spiritually sinful world. And so it's not the created world, it's the dark underbelly of the world. It's how we've misused the created universe. It's how we've misused and abused it. And so you can think of, you know, taking someone that is a beautiful image bearer of God, his masterpiece, and now we're lusting after it as an object of lust. You can think of, uh, you know, all these calls to, to not love greed, to not, to not care so much about profit that you're going to undercut all of these people, that you're going you're to underpay your workers, to not care about greed that much. You can think of fits of rage or selfishness. All of these things are the dark side of the world. And so maybe you've heard the distinction, the sacred from the secular. You know, sacred is like all the things that are, that are holy, um, all, all the things that are, that are good, and then secular, or secularism, is all of the things that are worldly, all the things that are, that are evil or sinful. But it, I felt like when I was reading this passage, there, there was this incredible connection that Jesus made that I hadn't saw before. That, that secularism, at its essence, 
is timeism. It's timeism. The emphasis on it's not my time, it's your time at any time. What he's trying to say here is that the essence of worldliness is that here in the now is all that matters. All that matters is what's right before me, which is why Jesus says, for you, any time is right. But the here and the now in this world, in this mindset, is all that matters. Everything else, it doesn't matter, but all that's right here, all that is right here, all that will ever matter is what's here in my life. History before me doesn't matter. What's happening 20 years in the future doesn't matter. What matters is right here, right now, in this world, in this time. That is worldliness. And so worldliness is nowism. It's live for the moment and this moment alone. And you know who's the worst at this? Children. Children, we have, we have so much to learn from you. I'm really sorry. We, as adults, we have so much to learn from you in many other areas. The Bible is clear on that, that we have to learn from you. But I think in this area, it's really hard for you. <laughs> I, I, I know this as a parent, that, that the, the constant plea of, I need this now. Like, <laughs> I'll just be talking to my kids and they'll just say, like, I need this video game right now. I'm like, oh, really? Why? <laughs> I just need it. I need it. I need it. We'll be walking through the store. Dad, I need this. I need this so bad. If I don't get it, I'm going to die. And I'm like, you just saw it for the very first time in your life. Before this moment, you were, you were living. But now, if you don't have it, you will die. This is, <laughs> it makes me think of Violet and, and Willy Wonka. You know, like, I want the golden goose now. <laughs> like, I want it now. I wish I had the, you know, that British voice, but whatever. Um, this is what worldliness is, is that I want it now. I don't care what it'll cost me. I don't care how. I want it now. I don't care if it'll wreck my marriage. I don't care if it'll ruin my family, ruin my career, pollute the ozone, or whatever else. I want it now. This is worldliness. It's sick. It's cosmic childishness. It's childishness just exploding. If, if I don't get this, it's the end of the world for me, is how worldliness is, is seen here. And so with this as the background, what is Jesus saying to his brothers? For you, any time will do, because the world doesn't hate you, nor can it. Why can't the world hate his brothers? Because they're part of the world. They're happy with the world. They're contributing to the world. And the world will never hate its own. The world cannot hate it. And so <laughs> they love the world as it is, and they love, they love the here and the now. But Jesus, in verse 7, says, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. <laughs> How many of you like change? <laughs> Some of y'all like change. Most of you are don't like change. Most, most of humanity does not like change. Almost everyone in the universe does not like change. But those of you who did raise your hands, even you only like some change. <laughs> you don't like everything to be out of order and everything chaotic. We all like some routine and some rhythm. Like you don't want to just say like, I put gas in my car, but all of a sudden today it didn't work. You want to know that that's how it works. Like, you want to know that you don't have to put milk into your gas tank. There are some certain things that you're like, don't change that. That's how it works. Although that would probably help us economically, but whatever. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes too much. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but even those who don't like change, like predictability. Okay, yeah. 
So what we're talking about here, what we're talking about here is the status quo. Status quo is is the Latin phrase for the existing state. The existing state. And what Jesus is telling them is that the world's works, its existing state is evil. It's evil. So the status quo is evil. There's a bumper sticker. (laughs) You'll win lots of friends (laughs) saying the status quo is evil. It's satanic, right? Now, now of course, there are some things that we should preserve and we should conserve. We don't want to say you have to change everything in all of life. We need to let Scripture be our guides and the Holy Spirit be our guides here. But, But who of you has the guts to speak out against the status quo? How, what happens when you do speak out against the status quo? The world will hate you. That's what it says here, that the world will hate you when you speak out against the status quo. Why do you think we don't talk about Bruno anymore? Right? He starts speaking out about the status quo. We don't talk about him now. Talk about people losing their hair and growing a gut, right? Okay. Let me switch from a joke to <laughs> something serious. Most of us have, in our society now, have mostly softened on Martin Luther King Jr. But he spoke out against the status quo. And the world hated him for it. Like, we, we, we like, we like to, to think of him and just think of all of, all of the, the nice things that he said. You know, we, we like to quote his I have a dream speech. But what about his where do we go from here book? How many times we quote in that book? Let me, let me give you a, a quote from that. That will probably make us angry because the world hates it when the status quo is being challenged. He says, whites, it must be frankly said, are not putting in a similar mass effort to re-educate themselves out of their racial ignorance. It is an aspect of their sense of superiority that the white people of America believe they have so little to learn. He goes on to say, loose and easy language about equality, resonant resolutions about brotherhood fall pleasantly on the ear, but for the Negro, there is a credibility gap he cannot overlook. He remembers that with each modest advance, the white population promptly raises the argument that the Negro has come far enough. Each step forward accents an ever-present tendency to backlash. And they killed him when he spoke against the world. Let's not whitewash who who we think Martin Luther King Jr. was. He was speaking against the world, against the status quo, And the world hated him for it and killed him. The world hates to be called out. And so we should be nervous if we're so comfortable in our world that we're not willing to call anything out. We should should be nervous if we're never getting any pushback on anything. Because it's clear if we're we're like Jesus' brothers if that's the case. We're like Jesus' brothers and the world can't hate us because we're part of the world. We're part of that. 
But Jesus deeply loves this world. And it's because of his deep love and care for the world that he is willing to speak out against it. And so if you're not controversial, you're not loving the world. No one wants to be hated, me included. <laughs> no one wants to, uh, all, every, most of us want to have this, I want to be loved complex. I don't want people to, to think badly of me. But I just want you to see here that Jesus wanted to love more than he wanted to be loved. He wanted to love the world more than he wanted to be loved. And so are you really loving the world by keeping the status quo? Jesus says, absolutely not. Let me just put this caveat out there. If you're always being persecuted, it's possible you're a jerk. <laughs> just, there's a difference there. <laughs> but if you're never being persecuted, maybe we're a coward. I think the rub is somewhere in the middle there. Well, how do we do any of this? We've looked at the times, we've looked at the time, now let's look at the tense. That this giant feast that was going on right now is called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents. It was the world's largest camping trip. They were, they, all of Israel would come out and they would set up their tents and they would just go camping, <laughs> right? It was this great event. They would all just go camping. And it was, it was to remind them of the time when they were on the wilderness in the journey following their Lord. It's to remind them of what he brought them out. And so the two things that are emphasized in this, this festival are, one, the journey is just as important as the destination, which I think is just beautiful. That the journey you're on is just as important as where you're going. But two, that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And anyone here like camping? Yeah, we've got a lot of campers here. Um, Makes me think of a Jim Gaffigan stand-up moment where um, in his voice, you know, he says something like, I'm surprised that we can still get people to camp. <laughs> he says, hey, want to burn a couple of vacation days sleeping on the ground outside? <laughs> no. <laughs> what if I told you you get to crap standing up in the woods? I still wouldn't go. <laughs> you wake up freezing and covered in a rash? Okay, I'll go. <laughs> And he goes on to say, my wife always wants to tell us about their, their family's camping tradition. And I say, it was everyone's tradition before they invented the house. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> I also love camping, though. I do love camping. Um, and it, here's why. It, it helps me to appreciate my home. It helps me to appreciate that that root or rock that is in the back of my, my back makes me appreciate to even have a mattress at all, right? It makes you go like, this is clearly not my home. This, this is not my bed. But it makes you appreciate that this is not your home. And that's what, that's what the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths was supposed to do, was to help you realize that this world is not our home. That it wakes you up to that this world is not everything. And they're celebrating that as they're loosening their grips on this world. And they're saying, right now isn't everything. And so that celebration forced them to take a, a big eye view, to, to zoom out and to think, where is my home? When you think of home, what do you think of? I mean, when you're sick, where do you want to go? When you're exhausted about being around all these people, you're like, I just want to go home. 
I just want to recharge. I want to replenish. I want a place where I can be me. Like, but what is a home? It's, is it just a box in a field? <laughs> like, is that our home? I mean, if you think about it, we're, weirdly, we're like, I can't wait to get home. But we're in a box here. <laughs> Why do you go from this box to that box, right? It's help us to remind ourselves that no place is actually our true home. We actually have a true home. And one of the things that this, this celebration did was remind us that, that we are not home, and therefore, we can actually speak out against this world because we're not beholden to it. We're not, we're not saying that I have to protect my stake in this world. There's another great guy named Martin Luther, not King. He was the German reformer, and he has this great quote, and he says, there are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. I just love that. <laughs> there are two days in my calendar. Probably really hard to like schedule things with him. But this day and that day. <laughs> Meaning that this day matters. This world matters. The things that we do right here in this life, they absolutely matter. But always with an eye on that day when the Lord will come with his army of angels. Of reminding ourselves that he will come on that day. And he will, he will make all of the status quo go away. And he will make all the sad things become untrue. And he's actually going to give us justice in life. And we can actually celebrate without fear. You see, a Christian is one who's not anti the times we're living in now. But it's a Christian is one who says that now counts forever. Now counts forever. Like, not just the now, but forever. And so this, this pandemic that we're living in, this, this times that we're living in, this great awakening, this great sorting, this, this, this modern-day civil rights movement, whatever this time is that you're thinking about right now, the, our relationship to the status quo right now being interrupted, I want to say, I want now to matter. I want it to matter not just a week from now, but billions and billions and billions of years later. I want my life to matter so that when I look back from eternity, I can say, I used that time well. And so a Christian is one who always has their eye on eternity, that now isn't everything, but it's important. And so when I look back, I want to I say, I'm proud of the way I lived life here and now. And so from the perspective of eternity, what does this moment look like? We want to say, what does tomorrow look like? We want to say, what does the next week look like? Maybe, maybe the next five-year plan you have. But what about 50 years, 100 years, billions of years? How are we going to look back at the way we live now? There's another pastor, a guy named Scott Sauls. He's got this great quote. It says, coolness wins high school, but kindness wins life. And I just love that. I feel like that encapsulates this different perspective. Because in high school, the only thing that matters is being cool. It's being noticed. But kindness is going to win every single time in life. And it's a way to step back and say something bigger matters. Something more important matters. And so we, let's get a perspective from eternity so that we can say literally nothing is the end of the world. When we have that perspective from eternity, we can say nothing is the end of the world because we know the end. <laughs> you know, so if you say, I am so anxious, I am so worried that blank may happen, if blank happens, my world's over. That is worldliness. It is so concerned about what that is right now. But <laughs> what, if, what if that does happen? Does the Lord still have you? 
A Christian is one who always has their eye on eternity. Because of what Jesus has done, they can say, I may lose the battle, but I'll never win the war. I will never win the war. And as as a Christian, you will never lose. You will either win or you'll learn. (laughs) But you will never lose. I mean, think about it. Losing involves defeat or ultimate defeat. And as a Christian, you can't lose. You know the end of the story. You know where it's ultimately going to go. And so you can either win or you can learn from a mistake. You can learn from a sin. You can learn of these things. But you'll never lose. The battle has been won. Victory is sure and it's yours. And so you can bank on that. Oh man, it's so good. If we can start seeing that with this eternity-centered life, saying like, that's where I'm going. Man, you can walk through the world very differently. And when you do that, the world will hate you. They will say that is very weird. They did that to Jesus. When Jesus had an eternity mindset, the world hated him for it. But good news is that God's time is always on time. Because even when the world did go to kill Jesus, even when he was carrying the cross up the hill, his instrument of destruction, his instrument of death, it wasn't the time yet. The story wasn't over yet. Even when the nails would go through his hand, it wasn't wasn't the time yet. The story wasn't over yet. Even when the stone was put in front of the, the tomb, it wasn't over yet. Because God's time is always on time. And so it wasn't until the stone got blown open that Jesus comes out and he's sitting on the stone and said, God's time is always on time. It's always right. It's good. There is something better being written than you could ever even believe and hope for. Because you will ultimately always win because of what Jesus has done for you. Oh, and it's so good. (laughs) Like, if Jesus went through hell for us, we can't lose. God says in Romans 5, 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. God is always on time. When we think that there's no time, there's there's no chance, there's no way God can get me out of whatever this situation is, God's time is always on time. At just the right time, he dies for the ungodly. He cares for us that much. And so we start start seeing that eternity center away, it's going to change everything. I mean, if you start looking at eternity, it's going to change how you live right here and now. The world's going to think it's weird. They'll make fun of you for it. If you start, start giving your money away generously to those who need it, the world's going to say, why? Save it. Hoard it. Invest it. They're going to say, that's a dumb way to live. But when you have a mind to eternity, you can say, I wish I could look back and say, I gave away as much as I could. I want to be known for being that way. Or you could say, the world could say, the way you live in this chaotic time, how do you have peace? You should be more despondent. You should be sadder than you are. You should be embarrassed to be a Christian. And you say, that's, that's the way the world thinks. That's worldliness. But if I, have a, if I know what the end of the story is, then I have a peace that transcends understanding. I have a peace amidst the storm. And so don't listen to the world. And as you push against that status quo, the world and the status quo is going to push against you. It pushed against Jesus, but take heart, he overcame the world. He overcame the world. And so I just ask you today, what area of your life do you need to 
to reorient and think about, am I making my world right here everything? Is this world all that matters for me right now? Maybe it's an area of your life that you're, just, you're too comfortable in. And you need to take a camping trip and remind yourself that this, isn't, this world isn't everything. But maybe it's the flip side. Maybe you are just struggling and, and hustling and running. And you need to, to be reminded that this world, it's, it matters. But take heart. <laughs> God has overcome this world. Like He is sovereign. He is on the throne. This isn't everything. God has got you. And so wherever you're at this morning, I just want to encourage you, trust in his timing. He is in control. This week, let's zoom out and see where our true home is. Let me pray for us.